0: Every once in a while here on the show, we come across a story or we talk about a story where I ask myself, how come I didn't know about this already? Well, this next one definitely falls into that category. It takes us way back to the early years of the Cold War and a U.S. Air Force B-36 bomber carrying a nuclear bomb departed from an Alaskan military airbase. It was supposed to go to San Francisco and then Texas. It didn't turn out that way though, and this is now a part of BC history that we are going to learn about. Amanda Fallat Huska joins us now, reporter in Northern BC for the Tai who's been writing about this. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to me. What happened to this plane?
1: Well, (laughs) that's kind of the question. It it was flying south along the B.C. coast. It had strict orders not to go inland and not to enter Canadian airspace. But it was a frigidly cold night. Um, Some of its engines, the whole plane started to ice up. Three of its six engines burst into flames, and the pilot realized he was going to have to ditch the plane. Um, But he was carrying this nuclear weapon. So the question was what to do with the bomb. So he flew out over the Pacific Ocean, somewhere, I think, just south of Haida Gwaii, jettisoned the bomb, according to official U.S. documents, um, and blew it up using traditional explosives. So it would have blown up somewhere, you know, between where the plane was coming down towards the ocean and the ocean itself, and scattered across the sea. And then he turned inland, hoping that he could drop his crew somewhere over the B.C. coast where they, um, they could be found by rescuers.
0: And is that what happened? Were they rescued?
1: Twelve of seventeen crew members were, were rescued in the days that followed. And as they parachuted out, the pilot, who was the last to leave the plane, or said he was the last to leave the plane, set the plane to autopilot. So it was meant to do a big arc over Princess Royal Island, head out to sea, and then they thought it would continue to lose altitude and eventually plunge into the ocean. And that's what everybody thought happened for about three years. And then in 1953, um, the Canadian Royal Air Force was searching for a lost airplane somewhere north of Smithers. And they came across across the wreckage about 350 kilometers north of where the plane was last seen going down and and thought it was about to plunge into the ocean.
0: Okay, well, that's a very different story, right? And for the U.S. military to kind of lose an atomic bomb, I mean, why was this not a bigger story?
1: Well, a lot of it was kept secret for a lot of years. You know, like when the Canadian government was out there searching for these, um, these lost crew members, Nobody knew that there had been an atomic bomb on board. That didn't come out until the 1980s. Um, And so the question is, how did this plane that was having severe mechanical failure end up 350 kilometers north and hundreds of feet higher than it was last seen, you know, sinking like a stone, according to the pilot? So one theory is that one of the crew members may have stayed on board and tried to Nobody really knows where he would have been going, but maybe heading back north to Alaska. Um, Yeah, but the the U.S. government has never officially confirmed that. And then the question is, if he did do that, and he risked his life to do that, what was on board that was so important?
0: Well, this is what I'm wondering too then. So do we really know about what the the cargo was?
1: The U.S. government has been very secretive about it. They have revealed very few details about it. Um, the atomic bomb that is said to have been jettisoned, it didn't have its plutonium core. So without the plutonium core, it it couldn't have created an atomic reaction. Um, That's according to the U.S. government. They say that there was a dummy core, so a a lead core that was used for training purposes, and that the, the amount of radiation from that bomb would have been minimal when they jettisoned it over the ocean. But there's several theories about what may have occurred. Like, according to the pilot, when they first tried to open the bomb bay doors and release the bomb, they didn't open because the airplane was was all iced up. They had to try a couple of times and then it did open. So there's a question around, like, did it actually open or were they having trouble getting rid of this bomb? Could there have been a second bomb? Or the third question is, did they still have this plutonium core on board, not a dummy core, that they were trying to take to safety somewhere. But the US government's been very secretive about that. Um, A lot of those official documents are still classified. So it's hard to know if we'll ever know.
0: So 70 years later, Amanda, and, and there's still not answers on this. Like, that just seems so bizarre, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. And, it, you know, I think
1: the, the U.S. government's official story that they, they dropped the bomb. There was really no risk. Um, it, on the one hand, it does make sense, but it, it brings up a lot of questions around, well, why the secrecy? And, you know, how did this airplane end up way, you know, hundreds of kilometers from where it was supposed to have plunged into the ocean if it was in such, such rough shape? And if somebody was flying it, what was their motivation to, uh, to take it there?
0: So what kind of reaction did you get when you started kind of digging around about this and asking some questions?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I didn't go to the U.S. Air Force, so it's hard to know what their reaction would have been. But I spoke to Joy Allen. She's a, a local up in the Kispiox Valley. She lives about 50 kilometers south of where the airplane was eventually found. And a lot of locals still talk about this because some locals were hired as guides to take the U.S. Air Force in there. After they found the wreckage, the U.S. Air Force actually went in, blew up what remained of the airplane and actually set off explosives in order to create a bit of a landslide and tried to bury what was left. Um, and, And the locals just talk about the secrecy of it all. You know, even the guides that took the U.S. Air Force team in on horseback, they, um, they were kept well away from the site. They weren't told anything. They don't know what, if anything, the Air Force crew may have taken out with them. That was back in 1954, so four years after the crash and a year after the actual crash site was found. Um, I, I think there's still just a lot of questions out there. And, and Joy, who I spoke to, she grew up in the valley. You know, she's heard these stories for decades. And she herself, back in the late 90s, thought that she would do an expedition in there to check out the the crash site and couldn't get any answers. And when she started asking questions, she had a friend in the U.S. military who started asking questions. and And he had military guys showing up at his door asking him what his interest in all of this was. So, you know, going back to at least the late 90s. The U.S. government was still trying to keep a lid on whatever happened up there, you know, whatever was taken out of the site. Um, There are rumors that maybe a crew member was the body of a crew member was found with the with the airplane. Um, But whether we'll ever know, I don't know.
0: You mentioned the late 90s there, didn't they? And you write about this. The Canadian government actually visited the site to make sure like we'll Mm -hmm. see what was going on here.
1: Right. Well, nobody, even the Canadian government didn't know until the 1980s that there had been a nuclear weapon involved. And some environmental groups started raising concerns that there could be radiation at the site and that maybe we should check that out. So the Canadian government sent a crew in to investigate in 1997. And this was the first time that anyone had been in there since um, in 1956, a group of surveyors had stumbled across it, but it had been, you know, 40 years, nobody had been in. So they went in and they checked it out. Um, they found no radiation. So potentially a signal that there, there was no plutonium. There was nothing, you know, no cause for concern. Um, but it, it kind of opened the door to looting because I think people in the region became aware that the crash site was there. Right. They want to see a souvenir. It was- they want to go see what's going on. Totally. And one group from Terrace, B.C., um, started making regular trips in and taking a lot of this stuff. And this is, this is a B.C. Um, cultural heritage site. It's, it's pretend, protected by uh, heritage laws. And, and I think their intentions were good, but they started salvaging stuff from the crash with the intention of maybe creating a museum or a display somewhere in Terrace. That never happened. So all these artifacts have actually been scattered around the region. Um, One thing that made it to the United States was the birdcage, which is the lead carrying case for a plutonium core. Um, So somebody who went in, loaded it into a helicopter, drove it across the border in their car, took it all the way back to Connecticut, and then opened it um apparently not even knowing if it if it could be radioactive um but apparently found it empty so Mm. again we don't we don't know what was in there
0: well that's what makes your story so fascinating amanda thanks for telling us all about it this morning
1: yeah, I appreciate your interest.
0: Well, Amanda Follett-Hoskett has written all about this case. It's on the tie.ca. Please check the story out. It's a fascinating little bit about BC history that you may not have known about. I hadn't heard about this story, and she writes about it in a lot of detail. So check that out at the thai.ca.